Thank you for this opportunity to share with you this morning, and thank you for all your kindnesses to me since I arrived. There will be a dialogue time after uh, I am finished, so hang on to all your objections and your questions. And the last time I was at Dan's, the guy asked me a question I couldn't answer, so that's always an excellent sign, and maybe there'll be somebody here this morning that can do the same. That's, that's always good. Let's start with scripture, first of all from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And I'll begin reading at verse 9. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ending there, and then going to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. And beginning with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ending with verse 24. If you happen to hear or read the words depraved or depravity, you probably have a definition for them in your mind. In society, they are used to describe the most extreme forms of human evil. They are used to speak of brutal violence or extreme cruelty or severe exploitation. But they're not used very often in communication. 
and they're not used very often in Scripture. There are no references to depraved or depravity in the King James Version. There was one in the old RSV and it was taken out in the new RSV. And there are one or two in the NIV. The word is not used often in Scripture. But in theology, depravity is a one-word summary for a very important part of Christian truth. And I invite you to think with me about that truth this morning. In theology, depravity is a one-word summary of what happened to human nature as a result of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Depravity means that human nature is biased to doing evil. It is fallen, it is broken, it's bent, it's corrupted. And we need to understand that theological meaning as opposed to the meaning that society gives the word because it's very important in our understanding of ourselves and of society. Now scripture doesn't use the word but it talks about the concept a lot. We're all familiar with Romans 3.23. All have sinned. It doesn't say that there are some people who are sinners and we call them wicked. It says that everybody has sinned. And that's backed up throughout the whole Bible. Way back in the book of Genesis, after the flood, Genesis 8.21, God says the imaginations, the inclinations of the heart are evil from childhood. And he didn't say that's true of some people. He said that is true of the human race. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful, it is corrupt, it is beyond cure. And again, not some hearts, but all hearts. Job 15.16 says that mortals are vile and corrupt. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says there is no one who does right and never sins. And Romans 3.10-18 says again that all people are evil. Throughout all of Scripture, unequivocally, Scripture says all people are evil, they have done evil, that is, they are depraved. Depravity is a fact of life for all people, and it is a fact of life for all parts of all people. Human desires can be evil. James 1.14 says that people are led into evil by their desires. From observation and experience, we know what greed and lust do to human life. We know what un the undisciplined desire for power and pleasure do to human life. <coughs> The desires can be evil, and so can the imagination or the inclinations. 
they can be evil. <clears throat> God, the, we know that human projections, plans, impulses, ambitions can be evil. And human emotions and feelings can be evil. There was a song some years ago that said, it can't be wrong because it feels so right. And the blunt truth is, oh yes, it can. <clears throat> and if you want a biblical example, just look at Solomon. The scripture tells us that Solomon held fast in love to women from groups that God had said, you shall not intermarry with these groups. Now that wasn't a matter of race. That was a matter of idolatry. Solomon followed his feelings and he sinned. Now the human word for heart is a much wider definition or has a much wider definition than simply feelings. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is corrupt. Feelings can be evil. And so can the human will. Now we might like to think, no, that's not true. But just look at Romans 7, 13 to 25. The person there knows exactly what is right. There's no question about what he should do. He finds he can't do it. The will can be in bondage to evil. It can be corrupt, weak, and broken. And the human mind, our ability to think and reason, can be evil. Now people really don't want to admit that. They want to think, they want to think that people can always think their way out of problems, they can educate their way to goodness, they, their thinking is going to help them and save them. It's not so. The human mind does not always work correctly. We've all experienced having incorrect perceptions of situations and people. We read situations wrongly. We have biases and prejudices and desires that affect our thinking. And again, look at Solomon. He was a genius. He really, really was a, a very great genius. He thought that he could safely ignore what God had said about marriage and money and the army. And he was wrong on all three counts. And he and the nation paid the price. In theology, all people are depraved and all parts of human nature are depraved. Now I hope at this point some of you are thinking, hey, wait a minute. That sounds overly pessimistic. There are people who do good. Think of all the helping in society, all the volunteer work, all the charitable giving. Look at the heroic measures that the world went to to get those 13 guys out of that cave just recently. And you are observing well. And this is the place where we have to note very, very carefully the difference between the theological 
and the secular definition of depravity. Scripture theology says that depravity is extensive. It covers all people. It covers all parts of human nature. It is as widespread as it can be. Scripture does not say that depravity is intensive as it could be. That means it doesn't say that it is as severe or as deep as it could be. Now, the secular use of depravity focuses on the intensity of human nature. It's the most serious crimes, the most serious evil, the most extreme evil that is labeled as depraved. In theology, it's any form of evil, any degree of evil that is depravity, that shows depravity. Evil is in all persons, it is in all facets of their nature, but not necessarily to the most extreme. It is not as great as it could be. Jesus himself said that evil parents can give good gifts to their children. The Bible does not deny good works. It says they can't reconcile you to God. The desires, the inclinations, the feelings, the choices, the thinking of people are not always evil. They may be in fact God-given and God-approved. It's that sometimes evil corrupts and twists them. It's not wrong to desire sex. It's not wrong to possess things or to desire to possess things. Imaginations and plans can be for good. It's not wrong to feel love or compassion or even anger. People can make good and wise choices. They can think correctly. We know that God gives wisdom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The Spirit is a teacher. <clears throat> the problem is that nothing is for sure 100% pure all the time. And we really have to remember that the Bible says depravity is extensive but not intensive. And that distinction, that fact, is critical to a Christian understanding of human nature. Now, I suspect that to this point you have assumed I've been talking about unbelievers. And that's partly true. So, what happens if someone accepts Christ and they take Jesus as Lord? The good news is that does make a difference, a positive difference to depravity. The bad news is that depravity still remains. Conversion does not make people perfect. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know that for a fact. Also note how often the New Testament talks of believers struggling with evil 
and calls for them to put evil out of their lives. The Apostle Paul wrote his epistles to believers. And how often does he say to them, get rid of that sin, get rid of this sin, be sure that this is gone from your life. Romans 12, 1, he says, you need to be renewed in your mind. Ephesians 4, he says, put off the old self, put on the new self. To be born anew certainly affects depravity in converts. It's quite common in conversion for people to be totally delivered from some form of evil or other. But the bias toward evil still remains. Human nature is still broken. There is still corruption. And it is extensive. It's in all areas. There can be evil desires. There can be evil inclinations, evil willings, feelings, thinkings. Believers cannot go on autopilot and assume that their life is safe from now on. It isn't. That's not true. And again, the depravity is not intensive, but it is extensive. Not all desires and inclinations, not all feelings, not all choices, not all thinkings are evil. A very large fraction of them may in fact be very good, but there's a fraction that isn't. And if that's not discerned and dealt with by the power of God, it can raise havoc all over the place. Would you eat food that was 5% poison? Not a chance. 1%? Not a chance. We are very, very careful to make sure that our food does not contain any poison. As believers, we likewise need to be alert and overcome the evil that lurks within us. We can never be complacent about our moral lives. We have to be on guard. And we have ways to spot evil, to spot depravity. Our major defense is scripture. When we are making decisions, when we are making choices, we need to ask, what does scripture say about this? It's not what I desire or what I'm inclined to do, what I feel, what I can choose, what I think, but what does Scripture say? We can also ask, what would Jesus say about this? Would he approve what I'm going to do? Does this course of action, this thinking, show that he is my Lord or does it deny that he is my Lord? Is the Holy Spirit trying to get my attention in this matter? What do my brothers and sisters in the church think of this? What are they saying about it? What would they say? What would they think if they knew? Even in believers, there is depravity. And we have to be on guard against it. Now, why is a correct understanding of this whole area important? 
for us. For one thing, extensive depravity is denied by our society. Did you notice in the recent court case with Trinity Western University that the justices affirmed human beings have a right to be who they are? Well, okay. Society assumes that human beings are mostly good, that they think and feel mostly good. And that's false. All of them suffer from depravity in the theological sense. That's their reality. Now, we need to be tactful about dealing with that, but it's got to be maintained. Because if we don't maintain that, then we are denying the need for the new birth. I'm okay. I don't need to be born from anew or born again or born from above. I just need to try harder to be good. I need a deeper understanding of some part of my personality. Or maybe I just need to accept the fact that nobody is perfect. I mean, compared to some of the people around me, I'm good. And the sad thing is that there are some churches that are holding that position. And they wonder why society is not getting better when they are so earnestly exhorting people to be and to do good. But you know the answer. People are enslaved to evil and they're not going to get free apart from the work of God. And that truth needs to be upheld in the interaction between God's people and society. Moreover, extensive depravity if it's not understood correctly in the church denies that believers need to mature and grow. I'm a believer. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Wonderful. Now you need to go on and grow. Let God deal with the depravity that is within you and remake all the areas. Remember, we are called to be conformed to Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, we bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. And very often it's the thought life where depravity shows up. Have you ever stopped short as your mind was running on and said, yikes, where did that thought or idea come from? Now, maybe Satan planted it, but maybe it came from you. And it shows an area where you need to grow. Now, for sure, you can reject the evil within you by the power of God but the appearance of it is a warning you are still in the process of being conformed to Christ you have not arrived now we need to be very very clear 
that we are reconciled to God by the death of Christ. And we are going to arrive in heaven because of our faith in Christ. Depravity doesn't change that. But depravity means that we can still do evil and suffer for it. We don't have to sin because God's power can keep us, but it's never impossible for us to sin. And if we're not watchful, depravity will enter in and it will harm us and others. We need to understand depravity to deal truthfully with our society, to understand our own spiritual lives, and to make sense of a lot of confusing things in life. Because the fact that depravity is extensive rather than intensive explains so much of what goes on in society and in the church. Extensive depravity explains all the moral failure in society. It explains why the good politician got caught taking kickbacks or sexually harassing the staff. It explains why a populist leader becomes an abusive dictator. It explains the crime and the exploitation and the general messed upness of our society. It explains why no matter how many brilliant theories are put out there to run society, the results are never what was predicted and what was hoped for. Because the minds of the geniuses are depraved. They're not thinking totally rightly. And the flaws sabotage their ideas and their efforts. Now they're as sincere as sincere can be. There's no problem that they mean well, but sincerity doesn't guarantee correctness and it doesn't negate depravity. An extensive depravity explains what happens in the church. It explains why the prominent minister gets caught stealing from the offerings or cheating on his income tax. It explains why the highly regarded church member is found out to be addicted to porn or treating his or her mate abusively. It explains the quarrels, the splits, the power struggles that happen among genuine believers. There's so many things in society, in life, that leave people so astonished. They just shake their heads and say, how could that happen? I can't figure it out. Like, how did that, that come to be? And then all this mess get created. Scripture gives us the answer, but people don't want to accept it. Because of Eden, the sin in Eden, human nature is depraved. All persons are corrupt, all facets of human nature are corrupt, but not as much as they might be. It's extensive, but not intensive. And conversion modifies depravity for believers. We still cannot trust 
our feelings or our thinking. We need to take scripture as a check. We need to take Jesus as Lord as a check. The Holy Spirit, the advice and counsel of fellow believers. And we need to keep growing if we are going to protect ourselves against depravity. We need to heed the advice of Jesus to his disciples. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lord, I thank you for our time together. And uh, Lord, your word today has prompted us in different ways on the good that you brought on us through our lives, but also the things in our lives that we may need to address, um, to confess to you, Lord, and to work out with um, work out and with complete honesty, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified this week in our actions, and that if we do need to make a, a U-turn in our lives and address those areas that are pulling us down and pulling our faith down, Lord, that we would do that right away. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to prompt us to do that in all areas of our lives. Thank you for our time together. I ask you to bless the meal downstairs. Amen.